This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I welcome on a special guest to talk through an interesting build for Carnival of Tears, have a My Favorite Monster segment on Subterranean Pest, the Morlock, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. We're back. Yee yee. Wow, that's that's the most excited I've heard you in a long time. Yeah, to be I feel back like, in the zone of truth. That's, I feel like this show needs a little bit of spice. You're right. The same fucking thing at the beginning every time. Let's mix it up, baby. Uh, all right. Well, um, instead of uh oh, put me on the spot to mix it up. Instead mix of Mix it up, Steve. I'm, I'm okay. Um I, I'm I'm gonna start with my second beer instead of my first one. How about that? <sighs> Crazy. They're actually the same beer. Uh, just <laughs> a different can. Uh, this is, is one a- colder than the other? <laughs> well, yeah, this one's in the tall koozie and the other one's in the short koozie and they're both tall boys. Um, this is a Tentacles and Tails and Brewdog. It's a cranberry infused IPA. That's what I'm drinking tonight. How about you, Griff? I am having a green apple moonshine. I have a couple of fizzies to back that up, but drinking moonshine straight out of the glass. Delicious. Ah, so this, uh, this episode is going to get wild. It's got a vibrant, bright green color. How is the taste, though? Tastes great. Looks like what the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fell into. That makes sense. Okay. So, again, as always, we got a lot to talk about. I want to do a little bit of housekeeping before we introduce our guests. Is that okay? Sure. Sweet. So, I don't think we ever announced it on the the main feed uh, before one of our episodes or even on the Zone of Truth. But, uh, you know that little collab that we do with uh, Southern Town Foolery? It's called... Hideous tomfoolery. Me and you played oh, that the one. Storm. Oh, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. that one. You okay. remember that? Yeah, yeah. I, I've played that before. Yeah, cool. So we dropped the next big chunk of episodes. They are hidden away where you have to be in our Discord to find them. So join our Discord if you're not on it. But yeah, they're they're very good. We learn. A, this is the part where we little learn a little bit more about your character, right? Yeah, we do learn a little bit yeah. about good old good old Sig. Yeah. So uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, if you want to see us. Go kill a bunch of bugs in space. Tune in. Um, besides that, the other thing I wanted to take care of at the top was that the 12th is a day that is coming up in December. Yes. Is- if you're listening to this when it releases, it's this coming Saturday. Correct. So this is going to be our first live zone of truth for patrons. This is something that I talked about at the end of last episode, um, but it's going to be the, 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 the audio is eventually going to be dropping in the feed on the 21st. So don't worry about it. You're not missing an episode if you can't make it to this one. But anybody at the $10 tearing up, come hang out with us and Griff. Uh, I said us and Griff like I'm more than one person. That's not true. Hang out with both Steves. Both of us. Real Steve and fake Steve. Yeah, both of us and Griffin are going to be there. And if you got a question for us that you want to hear us address live, Call the goddamn voicemail line. We did set up a voicemail. Yeah. That's new. There's a voicemail line. If you're a patron, you can call in and get your voice heard on the show. Forever cool. immortalized. Forever immortalized. Better have a good mic. Yeah. Leave us a message. We'll play your audio on air, and then we will answer that question. How cool is that? I mean, it's just okay. I mean, I think it's pretty. That's pretty dope. You're, pretty try- cool. you're trying to get us to change up the show. That's a big change. 
It is a big change. Instead of hearing you fumble through it, uh, somebody else will say it. Exactly. Yeah. So Pass the buck to somebody change else. Change for the better. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I guess it's time to introduce our guest for today. That's enough housekeeping. You may know him as Krusty Crust on the Discord, Romier from Pablos and Pales, and most recently, Godfrey Leafbottom on the first installment of the Linked Legacy podcast. Welcome to the show, Chris. What up, guys? It's your boy, Krusty Crust, a.k.a. Bird Butler, a.k.a. Froggy Froggy Fresh Prince now, I guess. I'm just giving myself roles. Very Godfrey Mother. Very Godfrey Mother. Yeah. Great to have you. Um, Probably our... Our most often returning guest on this show. Well, yeah, that's because he just lives down the street and rolls into the house, and we're just like, hey, you want to come on? That's pretty convenient. It is pretty convenient. Still shooting for that back-to-back Zot Championship uh, run here. I mean, you can come on the live if you want. Yeah, catch me on the next one. (laughs) (laughs) You you can be the guy that pops up from underneath the table just like halfway through. (laughs) Hey, here's $5 to up my Patreon to be on here. Here's here's the thing. You never know who's going to walk in. You never know who's going to come through that door. That's right. What you drinking, Chris? Mm. I am drinking some Angel's Envy. Oh, I am envious. I'm directly across the table from you and just, I don't want to look at you. I'm I want to look at, at my I want to look at that beautiful amber beverage you have. Yep. Oh. Last little dregs of the bottle that I got, uh, savoring it. That's what I'm doing. Then you got any backups after that? Because you're about to run out, right? Yeah, I've got a beer that I have to drink just because I bought it. It's a Victory Twisted Monkey, which is a blonde ale that they, for whatever reason, decided to put mango into. I don't agree with that. I don't like it, but I'll drink it. Well, you bought it, so at some point you agreed with the idea of it. I agree with the premise, but not the execution. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, glad you are ready to get liquored up and talk to us because I have a ton of questions for you today, but I'm not going to start asking them. Until I run that sirenscape. And today, we're listening to a little uh, Blue Water Inn sound set, but more specifically from that set is the Traveling Through Barovia music. Uh-oh. Barovia's really nice this time of year. Oh, yeah? I, I suppose. <laughs> it's, it's really nice all times of year. It's kind of the same all times <laughs> of the year. Hmm. Go figure. It's about as gray as Ohio in the fall turning to winter Mm. yeah it's been gray here lately straight depressing chris i got a question for you what you been into lately oh man you know i have been uh been reading a little bit more now uh than usual holidays gave me some time to read so i'm actually working through some D &D novels the legends of drizzt nice oh it's a it's a a really interesting series about a uh drow uh warrior becomes estranged from his clan and I'm really loving it. That's awesome. There's a there's a Drist board game that Tim and I played in college that we really really enjoyed. We should try getting our hands on a copy of that. There's actually That's a good stuff. There's a couple of the D&D adventure uh, board games as well. Mm-hmm. I've never played one, but I've heard decent reviews on them. They they do them for a couple of the campaigns. I think it's a little less involved than actually playing 5e. If, yeah. if, if if anything could be. Yeah, if, if memory serves, there wasn't like a whole lot of RP. You were just kind of like rolling through the event. Like you still got the story and everything. Right. Yeah. But you still, but you were like playing like some pre generated characters. And um, it was more of like an actual board game than a TTRPG. That a lot makes of me fun, think, though. That makes me think we should, uh, we should call up our good buddies at Paizo, mm-hmm. see if we can get some of the adventure card game. 
That would be something that would be fun to play for yeah. once. I've never, I've never played it. I've heard really good things. I think it's got a similar vibe to that. I, Brooks and Emily have the Skull and Shackles one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I've never played it. No, I don't think we've ever played it. <laughs> they just have it. Yeah. But that, that, would, that would be a good time. That'd be a lot of fun. What about you, Steve? What, do, what, do, what are you getting into? See, we're already changing up the show. Chris has taken over. Chris, new top host. Look Steve, at me. Secondary host. Look at me. I'm the host now. <laughs> friendship ended with chris <laughs> he just he just insidiously maneuvers his way onto the show in various channels taking over more power Uh-oh. he's gonna he's gonna run a module next for lake legacy i'm sure could happen um but thank you for asking chris i appreciate it i started watching a show that i probably should have watched a very very long time ago and i've just now gotten around to it because netflix has everything i'm watching twin peaks oh yeah yeah 1990, David Lynch. It's really good. Sounds like the story about two balding men. Sure. I see what you did there, uh, but it's not. It's mm. a it's a murder mystery, oh. and there's a lot of quirky characters. It's pretty good. Did they name the restaurant after the show, or what? Like what? I would have. Ima- what restaurant? Twin Peaks, it's like it's like flannel hooker or flannel hooters. Okay, well, uh, that's an episode of the Zone of Truth right there. We're gonna go review that bad boy. Well, I don't know that they're around here. I, o- I only ever went to one on a work trip when I worked at the same company as you, <laughs> which was real awkward. Oh boy, I want to go to there. <laughs> Twin Peaks, folks. All right, we're going to Twin Peaks. Uh, we're canceling the live show. We're going to Twin Peaks. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's very good. I, I imagine that the restaurant came after because there um, there are no uh, flannel flannel hooters in the show, uh, but it does take place in Washington, which seems like uh, somewhere where that might happen. Yeah, I mean, the Twin Peaks is a play on words. It's because the, the girls there, much like Hooters is a play on words. Oh, I'm not quite getting that. Can you explain it to me? Wait, so the owl's eyes are the nipples? Much like the the crests of both of the peaks are also the nipples, so too are the eyes. I always thought mountains were more androgynous. Maybe that's just me, though. Well, I mean, the Grand Tetons are named... Oh, with a name like that. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, but beside Twin Peaks, I'm also watching another show on the side. And it's also something I probably should have started earlier in quarantine because I got really into Junji Ito in, in March or so. But... On Crunchyroll, I log on there, and there's something called the Junji Ito Collection, where people have taken his horror manga and adapted it into anime. And I'll tell you what, boys, I'm done sleeping. I can't do it <laughs> can't anymore. Again. I watched the the first. It's an anthology show, so it takes like his short stories and then adapts them into into anime. And some episodes it'll have like a long twenty minute segment, and then like another two minute story, or some of them will be like two ten minute segments. But that first episode, it's a 20-minute story that's, that's very good. And then there is a little two-minute story on the tail end of it that just broke my mind. And I went to bed and had the worst sleep of my life. It was horrifying. But yeah, it's it's very, very good. I think I've gotten a little jaded in my old age of, of a lot of horror. Like I just I just watch horror movies and, and don't really get scared anymore. It's been a long time. <laughs> the only horror I consume is podcasts. TTRPG. There you ones. go. But this I've I've only seen the first three episodes of Junji Ito collection and it they all have scared the shit out of me. I believe They're it. I incredible. mean incredible. The manga's 
crazy creepy. So now just imagining color. Yeah. Uh, moving. Yeah. It's, it's a little further than I'm willing to go <laughs> at least after dark. We're, uh, we're doing a little disorderly tonight. Maybe we'll catch an episode after. Oh, gross. There you go. Yeah. It'd be a nice, 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 uh, nightcap. But how about you, Griffin? What do you, what you been into? Well, I've been doing some reading as well. Uh, this time some Paizo works, uh, I will say that this none of this is indicative of the future of the show. Okay, but good. I've read a little bit of Iron Gods, read a little bit of Hell's Vengeance. I think I'm almost finished reading Curse of the Crimson Throne, Ooh. and uh, I'm about halfway through Agents of Edgewatch. Uh, permission to read a lot more into that than I should? You I mean, Feel free. Feel okay. free. You, you'll be involved in these conversations, most likely. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I have all the subscriptions, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I I read the rules, but really the the stories are obviously the best part, in my opinion, of Paizo's stuff. And I just have had a couple of APs sitting on my bookshelf unread because I've been focusing on other things. Uh, and I've gotten a chance over the holidays as well to kind of dig into some of them. So, Well, I'm glad to hear that, man. I, I do agree with you. It, it is fun to look at like, oh, what's this boss's stat block and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I myself have read two, two, uh, two adventure pass through, and it, it is thoroughly enjoyable to, to watch it all play out and read through it and see how the, and imagine in your brain like, oh, what would a party do in this situation, and how could they go different directions, and uh, what can I add here? It's, it's just fun to read them. It's a nice little brain exercise. Absolutely. Okay, let's get into the meat of this episode. First of all, we're going to be talking about Chris's phenomenal character, Godfrey Leafbottom, in um, our Link Legacy podcast. We're not going to spoil anything, like we've mentioned before, because everyone's had a chance to hear at least him in the first episode. Let's get a little bit more about this character, dive into him a little bit. How's that sound to you, Chris? That sounds wonderful. Awesome. So... What people heard about this uh, about this character is that he is a shaman. No one's ever played a shaman on the show before. So can you just give me the overall flavor of the class? What, what is it? How does it work? What ability does it key off of? Just the kind of nitty gritty, or uh, you know, maybe not the nitty gritty. Just the generic. What is it? What what it do? Yeah, absolutely. So the the go, the the route they took with a shaman is it is a class that sort of communes with the spirits and the innate energy that living things have. It's it's also a class that takes a lot of uh, front end prep to play. I think, and there's there's just a whole bunch of customization you can do with it, which makes it pretty daunting for I think new uh, new people to come in and start playing. Um, keys off of wisdom modifier. Okay. Definitely a uh, definitely a caster, but although you, I mean, you've got the three quarters bab along with that too, which you know helps you if you wanted to get into melee and do something crazy like that. What is the combo? Because shaman's one of the combo classes, right? Witch, witch and oracle. Yeah, so witch, witch and oracle are the two two kind of classes that make up this hybrid. Um, so a lot of interesting class features too. Okay, yeah. So let's get into that. I I have never played a a shaman before. I've seen other people play them, but really haven't got my hands dirty. So when you introduce this character on the show, I did just a little bit of homework myself to kind of see how the character should work. What kind of stuff do they get, you know, stock off the shelf? And it seems like they've got a few key features, right? The f- first primarily among them is some sort of spirit. 
Yeah, so they they actually get a spirit animal that acts roughly as a familiar. They're able to manifest that, you know, every every so many times a day. And that spirit animal, um, you can you can you can select it like a familiar in terms of like the way that it mechanically functions. Would it? It also gains abilities based on the spirit that you pick. Um, and there's a bunch of different spirits that you can choose for your shaman to sort of channel or commune with. And that's kind of the big feature that gives it the the specific flavor of power that a shaman has. In your specific case, what did you go with? Yeah, so I, I went with... Uh, with the tribe spirit initially as a shaman and this is one of the things that gives it a lot of customization is that you know at a certain level you get another wandering spirit they're called um that just acts as another spirit that you can you can pull things from so the spirit determines like the abilities that your spirit familiar might have some of your bonus spells some other features maybe hexes that you can draw from and that wandering spirit you can change up on a daily basis so any particular day you can wake up and select a new wandering spirit with new bonus spells and features and just almost have an entirely new set of abilities that your character has. So it's extremely versatile in a party because you can prep for a lot of knowledge. If you're doing a lot of research and stuff, you can prep for combat. But the hard part is you have to kind of know in advance what you want to do and have that, you know, in your head about what you're going to play. It's tricky. It almost reminds me a little bit of the medium in that way. Much how like a medium can pick a spirit as well, I guess, and and be a completely different type of character. The shaman maybe not as heavily can change, but can be more specialized in certain areas with the wandering spirit. It's pretty cool. That's another class we haven't seen anybody play. Medium. Yeah. That, again, one of, that I'm not particularly familiar with, but would love to peek under the hood and see what they can do. I mean, hopefully somebody plays the small medium at large in, 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 in one of these uh, like legacy shows. Uh, we'll make it happen in, in some way, shape, or form. This is a hybrid class, Chris. And one of the one of the classes that make up the shaman is the witch. So you get hexes, right? Uh, normally, yes. You do get hexes. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly, you get hexes as a shaman. However, there are some archetypes which don't give you the full range of hexes that you normally would. Because some most shamans actually can draw hexes even from the witch's hex list, which is really powerful. Mm-hmm. I think you're aware of how, how strong some of those hexes oh, yeah. are. So, you said some archetypes don't allow... <laughs> For hexes. I did say that. And uh, I guess now would be a good time to start talking about the archetype you picked for Godfrey then. Yeah. So just to give you some some background for what I was thinking, I was coming into this kind of already knowing a little bit of the party comp. I knew that we were going to have a rogue and a monk playing some frontliners. So I was like, all right, I really want a maybe a backline caster that can help support the party somewhat. I want them to have enough abilities so they're not running into that issue of having an early adventuring day because they've used all their spell slots. Another cool thing that Shaman can do is they they have prepared spells. They're mostly prepared, but at each spell level, they also have spontaneous spells that they're able to cast based on the spirit that they choose. Yeah, it's kind of the blending of the casting traditions of Witch and Oracle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. However... The archetype that I chose, the Primal Warden, um, takes a lot of the good, the stuff that makes Shaman good and versatile and throws that all out the window. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first off, um, the spirits that you pick, 
you don't get access to the bonus spells from them per day, or you know, per se that you can cast spontaneously. Those are replaced by this unstable spell casting that you have, because these primal wardens, the spirits that these shamans commune with, are warped. They've been in areas of primal magic too long, and that's changed and and made them, you know, not quite the beings they used to be, which affects the magic they have. So the way that this crazy ability works is. If you cast, if you expend a spell slot to cast a spell spontaneously as a shaman, the unstable spell casting uh, bumps that up a spell level. So if you expend a level three slot, you cast a level four spell. But you don't get to pick that shit. That is <laughs> roll on the table. Baby. That is, it is randomly drawn from any level four spell that a shaman can cast. That actually starts to get pretty powerful later in the game. Because the spell list, the, just the by nature of how spell lists work, it gets smaller and smaller. So when you can use that to cast a ninth level spell, your options are you have like ten options. You're rolling like a d10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I and I don't know anything about the shaman list, but that that makes me think like, do you get in a situation where you try and cast a level eight spell and you cast like something like? earthquake or like or like resurrection or something that just would be wildly not set for the combat you're in yeah um there's definitely a worrying element of oh god what if i choose a spell that's going to completely screw over the party or just doesn't work at all which i'm not i won't give any spoilers as to what happens but you know it's <laughs> it does happen. it's random um Chris, do you happen to know, does that ignore the material components of the spell? I, oh, that's a great question. I don't, but I... I can't imagine they would force you to... Yeah. Like, if you think about... I I think the resurrection-type spells do exist on the shaman spell list. I can't imagine they would force you to spend, you know, thousands of gold, yeah. 10,000 gold to, yeah. to cast a spell that uh, you didn't really want to cast. Yeah, or it's like, oh god, I'm a 5th level shaman, I have to go and buy every single level 6 material component that's out there so I can cast all my random spells. Right, or, or it's like, I better never keep a thousand or 10,000 gold worth of diamond dust on me <laughs> use just it. in case I'll accidentally use it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so some other bad stuff about the about the the archetype is it limits the hexes you can cast. So you can't you can't cast hexes on the witch's spell, or you can't use hexes on the witch's spell list at all. Um, you're much more limited to some of the crappier hexes. Um, the spirit animal that you have it gets a set ability, which is like you roll randomly to determine some energy resistance it gets. Um, those are the big things, I think. So it really cuts down on the versatility of the shaman. And you, you might you might not have this number like uh, ready to go in front of you, but you can at least ballpark it for me. I know that um, when we're talking, you're rolling random spells. How many spells are you picking from? Yeah, it's it's in the it's in the area. At least the level two through four shaman spells are within a hundred to hundred and thirty some spells. So yeah, when we play, Chris has a <laughs> laptop up with his yep. random generator to pick his spell. What's funny is, in the text of the archetype, it kind of calls out what the amount of spells there were at the time when they oh when they put this out. Oh. So I'm seeing 47 level two spells, 46 level three. So you were you were uh, drawn from a much smaller deck uh, back when this thing first came out. Ten years of bloat, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this list is getting big. So yeah. Chris, we talked a lot about the shaman, but one of my favorite 
decisions you made about this character was just the the race of the character because Agrippoli is a very unique race, something that is, I believe, an uncommon race in the advanced race guide, and you don't really see it played a lot. What made you want to pick Agrippoli? So I got a level with the with the folks. Um, 90% of the reason that I choose a certain uh, race is that it meshes really well with the class that I want to take, or it meshes, you know, somewhat well. Mm-hmm. Um, Gripley, in this case, I think, um, has a pretty good dex score, and... Um, I think you get dex and wisdom. Yeah, wisdom as well, too. Um, so for ranged attacks that I want to do, obviously the wisdom for a shaman. Um, so I actually enjoy... I think part of the designing I like to do is I like to limit myself to first I'll choose a class that I know I want to play Mm -hmm. and then I'll go out and look what interesting race can I play that would make this class or you know just synergize well with this class for this one Gripply was that well you've added some uh, interesting Gripply lore to the party (laughs) I'll say that that's that's my second favorite thing to do with my race just come up with crazy shit (laughs) (laughs) it's a pretty blank slate for the Gripply so you have a lot of a lot of canvas to work with. Yeah, you certainly set the precedent. <laughs> All right, is there anything else we wanted to discuss about uh, Godfrey at this time? I don't know. He's a, he's a pretty chill guy. If you know, if you like what you hear, you can check out that Link Legacy uh, episodes. First one's out right now, free. You can check it out in the feed, and then the rest are rest are in that Patreon of your guys's. It is in that Patreon. Did you have any? character inspiration building Godfrey or were you pretty purely hey I want to play a shaman I think a Gripley will work with that and you built from there uh, the latter there the I latter, just, yeah I just basically yeah. built it's kind of hard to find like a, unless you're trying to build Kermit the Frog it's kind of hard to draw much inspiration for a Gripley character yeah but uh, I really love Godfrey he's a really interesting character yeah something specific to, I think how I build is I don't really use like a, a an inspiration, like I don't have something that's like, oh, I want to build something that represents this thing. Mm-hmm. I usually I have a concept or like something mechanically that I want to do or be good at that I build a character around, and then the casting the character comes later because sometimes I don't even cast or have an idea of who I'm casting a character as until I'm required to do that or you know think about that. So, and what about the frog on the Pearson's biology textbook spoke to you? Uh, he is just a very handsome fella. I don't know if any of you guys have have a copies of that home, but that guy was dapper. I mean, he was, you know, he was rocking he was rocking some colors there that you're not going to see in any spring catalog from that era. You know, he's way ahead of his time. No, most of my 2002 spring catalogs don't have colors like that. Yeah, Ralph Lauren, not going to see that. Yeah, you're, you're going to see you see dark. You won't see many tree frog colors. That's for sure. Nope. No. Absolutely not. Well, Chris, thank you for sharing so much about this uh, very beautiful character with us. And um, I look forward to seeing more of him. I do as well, provided he continues living. Yes, that is a huge asterisk. (laughs) Because it seems like Carnival of Tears is uh, not as easy as I thought. Living up to its name. Pretty, Pretty tough. Anyway, all right, let's move on to the next segment in our show. This is my favorite monster. Everybody loves it. And today, when we had Chris on, we asked Chris, hey, Chris, what do you want to talk about on the show? And you, you, you said Morlock. I did want to talk about Morlock. Yeah. Why? 
so I've been I've been reading a whole bunch of Underdark and Darkland stuff recently. I've been getting super into all of that lore, all the material, all the published content there. Um, and Morlock came up in Carnival of Tears. There was a I guess they called it a Grimlock. In that it was book. a Grimlock. The interesting thing is that Carnival of Tears was written for uh, pet, or Dungeons and Dragons 3.5, and at the time they didn't think they could use Morlock as a as a name because it was an intellectual property. I think it was it also because I mean, and I'm sure you know Steve's Steve's been looking into the, the lore of this, but mm-hmm. the the Morlocks were had more of a futuristic connotation too, where yes, the Grimlocks were from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very correct. So they they used Grimlock, but in essence, they're relatively the same creature. And then Pathfinder kind of changed that as well. Yeah, I What's, got a lot of information on that. I know That's you do. That's very exciting. I know you do. What's in a name? Even a, if only a Grimlock would smell as And then 5e as, brought in the yeah. Warlock and, uh, you know, mm. you got all kinds of locks. Mm. We brought in Lobstock. He's, it's not lock. Pop and lock socket. Pop, made the pun. Okay. All right. So in my favorite monster, we like to talk about some of the uh, IRL. Where did this monster come from? We like to talk about where it takes place in Pathfinder. And sometimes we talk mechanics too. Uh, mechanically, there's not a whole lot going on with these guys, right, Griff? They're just kind of... They're really not interesting. I mean, they're like a CR1 creature, CR2 creature. Um, CR2. Yeah. I mean, the coolest thing they have is that they're kind of like rat folk. They can they can do that swarming thing where they can occupy the same square, and they're they get the effects of spider climb when in caves, uh, but they have to. Do they not get it? Not in caves. It's just in caves. It has, it, a Morlock can cling to cave walls and even ceilings as long as the surface has hand and footholds. In effect, huh. Morlock is treated as constantly being under a non-magical version of the spell spider climb, save that it cannot cling to smooth surfaces. Interesting. Very cool. But other than that, Morlocks are only really cool when you start to add class levels to them because then they're just a better humanoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could also see you terrorizing a low-level party with that. Like, they enter a cavern, they're not really seeing anything around them, but then from the cave walls, from the ceiling, climb down this, you know, the a swarm of these fellas. Sure, yeah. Yeah, multiple Morlocks. I mean, that's going to be a CR4 encounter if you have a couple of them, and that'll kill a first-level party for sure. Yeah, and the place that you would use it, very tight quarters, probably dark. You know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have some environmental stuff going on there. Make it interesting. Yeah. So beyond the fact that you know maybe they're not too uh, particularly interesting from a Pathfinder mechanic stance, um, I want to talk about where they came from. And then Chris, would you do me the favor of bringing us home with how they fit into the Pathfinder world? Yeah, I suppose so. Wait, wait, wait. I do have, I do have one thing. Okay. Okay. You're so, smiling pretty big. It's got to be good. So you know how, like, many times in the HLP, I've allowed Matumbe to attack as, like, a part of a jump? Yes. They mechanically have an ability that allows them to do that. Oh, they have the dunk ability. It's, yeah, leap attack. As a standard action, a Morlock may make a single attack during a jump. It can make this attack at any point over the course of the leap, the start, the end, or while in midair. While jumping, a Morlock does not provoke attacks of opportunity from leaving a threatened square. So, much like I have hand-waved for Matumbe and other characters, uh, it, Morlocks actually have an ability that allows that. Hmm. Is Matumbe part Morlock? Well, I know what I'm taking my next level dip in. Morlock. Matumlock. Matumlock. 
All right. So where do Morlocks come from, guys? Well, I'm going to tell you. Morlocks, they're a fictional species. Okay? Not real. Wait, really? Yeah. Shit. All my notes are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but they were created by H.G. Wells for his 1895 novel, The Time Machine. Wait, are you sh I thought Tim was a Morlock. Maybe. All right. Could be. Um, and they're basically the main antagonists in that in that novel. So synopsis of the time machine for those of you who have not read it or have not seen uh, the movies or whatever. Uh, a man who's referred to as the traveler uh, makes a time machine and he's at a dinner party and he's like, well, I'm going to prove that I can travel through time. And he travels to the future. So far in the future, it is 802,701 A.D. Um, at, at that point, humanity has evolved essentially into two forms of beings. Uh, one being the Morlocks. These are, um, like we described and how they appear in Pathfinder as some sort of like troglodyte-esque underground dwelling race. Um, and then another race called the Eloi, E-L-O-I. I think that's kind of how you pronounce that. Eloi. Um, we, we've kind of talked about Morlocks. They're, they're primal. Um, like you said, Griffin, they're more or less just stronger humanoids mm -hmm. um, but the Aloe on the other hand are weak and they dwell on the surface um, and they have no real challenges to their lives they live a blissful peaceful existence um, the time traveler uh, oh boy that was not a word the time traveler speculates that the human race has evolved into these two species and um like the leisured rich people of our day have become the Aloe and the downtrodden, you know, blue collar workers have become uh, these brutal light fearing Morlocks. Um, he explores the Morlock tunnels and then um, actually learns that the Morlocks feed on the Aloe. Um, and then he changes up his analysis a little bit and uh, assumes that instead of the just humanity diverged and they became what they became, that there's a, um, a relationship between the two races. That's more like one of livestock and ranchers. Basically the Morlocks are a little smarter than he realized and they just keep the Yoloi happy and then kill them when they're hungry. Basically he, realizes that the Aloe have lost the spirit, intelligence, and physical fitness of humanity. Um, and he travels uh, weirdly for more forward into the future, sees the death of the world, and then comes home. And at the end of the story, he tells the people who are there that he's going back. And that's it. So uh, so that's, that's the time machine right there. Um, but where does the term Morlock come from? Uh, may have been inspired by Moloch, uh, the Canaanite god of child sacrifice. Um, or they may have come from the Morlocks, M-O-R-L-A-C-H-S. This is an ethnic group of the Balkans um, who at the time that H.G. Wells was writing this book attracted a lot of attention from the uh, quote-unquote Western world as a... Uh, uh, barbarism and backwards culture. So they were hot at the time and he might've just co-opted the name for this underground uh, race of savages. So where else do we see Morlocks in popular culture? Um, it's, it's funny because HG Wells book, the time traveler has been around for so long. It has been in the public domain for forever. Um, so there have been a whole bunch of prequels and sequels not written by HG Wells. Um, 
And I wanted to talk about one in particular. Uh, this one is particularly whack. It's a novel called Time Machine Troopers. <laughs> Starship Troopers. Came out in 2011. Uh, it's the story of the time travel traveler returning to the future 18 years after uh, the time he showed up in the original time traveler book. Um, uh, and he wants to regenerate the Aloe. He wants to bring civilization back to them. And how is he going to do that? Well, he brings, uh, say it with me, the name that we all know, Sir Robert Baden Powell who had found the Boy Scouts in England. We all knew it. Makes yep. a lot of sense. Um, the time traveler and this dude seek to teach the future world scouting and cricket. And that's what the book's about. Wow. Yeah. That... Pretty cool, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read that and was like, holy shit, I, cannot, I can't not bring that up. Uh, Morlocks, because again, they are in public domain. They they've shown up in Power Rangers, Futurama, Simpsons, um, and then some comics as well, X Men, and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, but how does this get to Pathfinder? I'm going to start transitioning to Chris here. So, like like we've mentioned earlier, Grimlocks actually are a monster from the 1980 first edition D and D Fiend Folio. Uh, Grimlocks were inspired by Morlocks, obviously, uh, but when Paizo made Pathfinder, they took that monster, updated it, and gave it the proper name again. I did some forums researching here, and James Jacobs, uh, who pops up on Paizo forums all the time to, you know, kind of correct and guide the conversations in the right way, actually um, addresses the Grimlocks versus Morlocks uh, question here, and I'm going to quote him. Morlocks are indeed intended to be the thematic replacement for Grimlocks. They still do different things, so you can absolutely use them in both the same game or even in the same encounter and they'll still feel different. But for Pathfinder, the Morlock is the one we're officially sticking with in the category of violent, degenerate, underground dwelling, once we're humans monster. If we were to reprint Into the Darklands today, which Into the Darklands, uh, very, very old Paizo book that does use the word Grimlock like, um, like Carnival Tears, then we would change the name to Morlocks. The time machine has been in public domain for a long, long time. Uh, the fact that the Morlocks are from the distant future is probably more likely why previous editions of the game, i.e. D&D, chose to avoid actually calling the critters that and instead called them Grimlocks. Just my guess. So he's speculating a little bit, but I think it's on point. And I think I've exhausted everything that I know about Morlocks. Except what they're doing on Galarian. Thank you, Chris. You're up. Yeah. So it's actually a really smooth integration into, into the Pathfinder world of Galarian, I think. Um, when Earthfall happened, um, the way that some, some of the uh, human communities chose to kind of escape the fall of that empire was to flee underground into the Darklands. And after 10,000 years, a whole bunch of isolated communities inbreeding together um, led to, among other things, the creation of these Morlocks. So the adaptations that those Aslanti humans had to take to survive down in the Darklands are what the Morlocks are all about now. That's why, you know, they're able to climb cave walls. They can see in the dark now. They are agile. They are, they're good in tight spaces. They've... They are the part of the humans that have adapted well to survive. It's interesting. It isn't exactly like the LOI either, um, 
But there is another race that is also in the Darklands that resulted from humans fleeing down there called the Mongrel Men. And you could do a whole, you know, a whole My Favorite Monster on them as well, too. But um, in the same vein, Mongrel Men have some really interesting, diverse adaptations that they've made from the the Aslantes to survive down there. So Mongrel Men, all over book two of Carrying Crown. You know it. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... Um, that's that's just kind of the basics of their origin story and why if you encounter them in your settings now, that's why they're down there. Very cool, very cool. Um, well, well, thank you for helping us out there, Chris. Um, how do you guys feel about answering some listener questions? Oh, I'm ready for some listener questions, although I think our community has directed quite a few towards Chris. Yes. <laughs> so how this is going to work today is uh, we've selected two questions that all three of us are going to answer. And then Chris is going to enter what I like to call the lightning round. So I'm going to need him to roll a reflex save, and I'm going to pepper him with a few different questions from folks. Ooh, I'm here for it. All right, good, because you don't have a choice. You already showed up. (laughs) Okay, this first question is a question that I actually might recycle uh, later in the run of the Zone of Truth, just because I'd like to get the perspective of some other players on the show, but it was too good for me not to bring up today. This comes from Trafalgar. What prestige class would you choose for your character if you had to? Now, I am going to be answering the question from the perspective of Matumbe. Um, maybe next time I bring it up, I'll talk about Saw. We'll see. Um, who are you going to be answering for Chris? I've been thinking about this question with respect to Ikmer, actually. Okay, I'm excited to see where that goes. And how about you, Griffin? I'm going to talk about the prestige class Arn Vrood was supposed to have. I love that. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it off, and we'll just go around the table clockwise. We're going to go to Chris next. So as I was doing my homework for this particular question, I was having a little bit of difficulty. Because I don't really look at prestige classes all the time. I had to really dig into a lot of them and see what would fit. And a lot of them are very, very specific. But then I found one which fits him perfectly. This actually comes from the Tyrant's Grasp AP. It is a yep. it is a prestige class called Mortal Usher. Let me give you guys the uh, flavor text for here. Whether the trouble is a formidable lich draining power from thousands of enslaved ghosts or a clipoth funneling stolen souls through an abyssal stronghold, occasionally the psychopomps must enlist a mortal usher, a living agent imbued with the power and cunning to travel where even the guardians of the river of souls cannot tread. So this is basically like an agent of Phrasma who's not dead or a, a otherworldly being. Perfect for Matumbe. And I really, really, really love this prestige class it basically right off the bat you get vital strike which is okay that's fine that's take what you can get but you also get something called reaping strike where basically whenever you do hit point damage by using the attack action casting a spell that targets only a single creature or throwing an alchemical item like a bomb or something you add an extra d6 And if this is against a living creature, you're doing negative energy damage. If it's against an undead creature, you're doing positive energy damage. Kind of like a rogue sneak attack. It grows as you take more levels in this, so you'll do more and more d6. But you do not have to fulfill any of the requirements of sneak attack. You just get these extra damage. And that bypasses a lot of resistances. Um, But what I really, really love about the class is that 
as you take levels in it, you begin manifesting different um, abilities of more and more powerful psychopomps. Which, how cool is that? So at the third level of this particular prestige class, you get the plague mask that the Nosoi have, and you can use that to cast invisibility on yourself. At fifth, you get the uh, Katrina's uh, aura of calm. At seventh, you get these cool wrappings that fire out from your body um, and actually behave very similarly to uh, the the uh, the things that Matumbe pumps into his book of the Mer- uh, Merigna. You get the Vanth wings at ninth and the Yamaraj feather cloak at 10th. Um, I didn't really even look at those because I know I'll never get that high. But also this uh, this particular build addresses one of the things that I have the most difficulty with in um, siege classes is that you kind of trade away all of your abilities for growth in this weird specific thing. Well, every even numbered uh, level that you take in Mortal Usher, you get something called Mortal Talents, which basically is just almost another level of your original class. Oh, interesting. So, um, they uh, they put an example in the text here that I'll read because I think it uh, helps exemplify what I'm trying to say. A wizard that has five levels and a more or it's as a five level wizard plus a four level Mortal Usher basically has all of the arcane bond benefits, caster level, and spells per day of a 7th level wizard. So it grows um, along with all of these cool like psychopomp abilities. Um, The character still retains the hit dice, base attack bonus, and saving throw bonuses and skill ranks of the prestige class, but gains all other class features of his chosen class at the specified levels. So you get your new spells, you get extra rounds of Bane if Matumbe took it, that kind of stuff. I think that fixes one of the big problems that I have with prestige classes of that. It gets a little too far away from the concept and gets too niche. Um, I really love it. I think this is really cool. And had I learned about this a long time ago, I could, I could see an alternate past where Matumbe was taking levels in this. It's really cool. That's a very flavorful prestige class. Hell yeah. You just basically become all of the coolest things about psychopomps. It's great. Yeah. Chris, what do you got for me today? Yeah, so when I had this question, uh, around the same time you asked this, I was reading a lot about some of the deific obediences and some of the prestige classes that relate to worshiping a certain deity. And there's a specific guide that I was really reading through because it was just very detailed um, from All, Soul, All Souls Gaming, who's a group that puts out some pretty high-quality Pathfinder 1E guides. And this deific obediences guide was one of those. Um so I was thinking about characters that I would be interested in seeing a prestige class from. And Ikmer, you know, now that presumably he's not going to be obtaining other levels on the show, um, is, is, is the, the one I thought primarily of. Um, especially because in the show, spoilers, he has some interactions with some deities, you know. He, there's, there's some, there's some uh, communication going on there. Um, so I thought it'd be really interesting for him to take uh, the prestige class Sentinel. So there's three different deific types of ma- mainly like the the uh, prestige classes that you would take if you worshipped a just a, a regular deity. Um, but Sentinel is the one that gives you the full BAB progression, um, some additional abilities that um, enhance your weapon a little bit as well too. Um, the one caveat 
with taking a prestige class, like I think Steve was saying, is um, if you're actually looking to take it for one of your characters, you got to do a lot of thinking about are the abilities I get in this class worth? Are they better than what I'd be getting normally in my regular class or not? For Sentinel, I really don't think that they would be better, but if you're interested in taking some flavor, some extra flavor for your character, I think it's definitely a good way to go. Um, so I was looking at what a Sentinel of uh, Desna potentially would offer um, Ikmer. Not a lot of great stuff going on there for him. Kind of the gist of these prestige classes is there is an obedience based on the deity that you have that you have to follow. Um, and when you do that obedience on a daily basis, that's what gives you access to these uh, these abilities and these these skills, eventually these boons that you get. And there's some special powers, some special spell-like abilities and cool stuff that the, the deities give you. Um, I think maybe if Ikmer had, you know, as he progressed, as his character arc developed, if maybe he had gone into a more... Um, racial focus back to like Gorm or something or started because you know, from his orc nature started worshiping Gorm to some degree there could be some really interesting stuff there because a sentinel for, of Gorm has some pretty strong uh, features if you're interested in looking that up um, just look up the the either the PFSRD uh, link or the archives of Nethus link for Gorm if you scroll down a sentinel there's a whole bunch of spell like abilities and boons and stuff you can get so that gives you a taste of what a in Ikmer with those levels might have gotten. Yeah, those those uh, deific obediences are really cool. I mean, you're you're right. Uh, a lot of times they don't really scale with the way you'd hope your character's growing at that level. Uh, but I was doing a little bit of research for um, our off pod show, Return of the Rune Lords, and I was looking at those and had a lot of fun. Even if I was just looking at abilities that weren't weren't good yeah. just reading through them being like oh cool that's so flavorful and like how you actually have to pray in certain ways or um, display your obedience to the gods in a certain way every day I just thought would be was interesting and really cool from like a character building perspective yeah absolutely Griffin how about you tell me about Mr. Oren Rude and what his archetype or I'm sorry uh, prestige class should have been he was supposed to be an agent of the grave which is a five-level archetype, I know, or five-level prestige class. I know some are ten, some are five. The requirements here are that you're evil. You have five ranks in knowledge, arcana, and knowledge religion. You can cast animate dead, and you're a member of an undead worshiping cult for one year. Checks all the boxes. Yeah, he checks all the boxes. It didn't make sense for me to retain this agent of the grave class because. Many of its features are leading up to becoming undead, and I had Vrood already be a vampire, so I changed it up. But it's pretty cool for a character that is attempting to become undead. You start to you you lose one level of spell casting, but in return, you start to get a lot of undead related abilities. So all of your uh, resistances and stuff go up. You get negative energy healing. You get an ability called Undeath Initiate, which allows you to, this is like the capstone of it. It allows you to, when you are turned into a type of undead, retain all your class levels and retain your intelligence and not be under the influence of your master of the thing that created you. Ooh. So you are completely free of that. So you nice. don't have a 
There's not a vampire that can call you its spawn. You become a full vampire uh, that is independent. So that's undeath initiate. It's a pretty cool ability if you're looking to go that route. Well, that, that, that I mean, that plays really well into uh, some of the stuff we talked about, Orin Vrood, like that backstory that um, Paizo had written in there that we mm-hmm. talked about. How he was he was younger and he was growing into it. And then with the, uh, it seems the eventual goal of being free and being his own person. Yeah. Very cool. You also get to double your agent of the grave levels for determining how many hit dice of undead you can control. So it's okay. really good. If you want to be a necromancer, you take five levels of agent of the grave at starting at level five as a level 10 character you're treated as a level 15 character in terms of how many undead you can control which is strong if you then have some of the other classes abilities to double the hit dice of undead you control and oh that kind yeah of thing you can become kind of a a monster when it comes to having either a very powerful or very many undead minions that's awesome that's really cool. All right, next question. Yeah, next question. Let's oh, do sure. it. Um, we're uh, we're gonna start with Griffin here answering the question from Matum Bay Lover sixty nine. Yeah, never heard of him before. Hmm. Uh, what city in Galarian would you like to visit IRL if you could? I think Alkenstar would be really cool. I talk about Alkenstar a lot. It's kind of the steampunky setting in Galarian, and it. It just has a lot of the kind of turn of the century industrial revolution type vibe to it that I really like. I think I really wish there was more written about that area because it's kind of cool to explore. I think either that or honestly, just because I really like Gothic architecture, that kind of thing pretty much any of the cities in Usulav would be cool mm-hmm. to see. I don't know that I'd want to spend a lot of time in them. Uh, they are particularly deadly, but something like a Caliphas would be cool to visit just in terms of the history that is there and the buildings that are there and the kind of politics and stuff in the region are just interesting. So either of those for me. Sure, sure. Very good answers. Uh, how about you, Chris? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I really like Lovecraft, um, but obviously I'm not going to want to go to a town that um, in Pathfinder that has Lovecraft influences in it because that would be scary. I'd lose my life, probably. No yeah, Thrushmore for you? What? No Thrushmore for no, you? Uh, no Thrushmore for me, IRL, no. We talked about this question before we went on, on uh, online, and we were like, you know, there's a lot of places that are really cool, but we would all die immediately yeah. there. Like, Kirmag is dope, but yeah, you're, you're not going to survive that. So this might sound like a safe answer, but um, and I am basing this off of my experiences with playing in these cities and the in campaigns. But Riddleport and Magnamar seem really interesting to me from the perspective of they have some really prominent uh, remnants of the Aslant Empire there that would be a great tourist sightseeing attraction to go check out. Things like the Arch or like the Hollow Mountain, that giant giant bridge, the ruins of that. Uh, are super cool. Yeah, the Iron Span. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's akin to um, a town, you know, in Europe that has like Roman ruins or something like that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's going somewhere like that and exploring that. Yeah. I, 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 you, you said it's a safe answer, but I think it's a very good answer because I would love to go there too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, 
from my perspective, I thought about this a little bit. I think it would be really cool to go to the capital of Osirion. It's a city called Sothis. Oh, Sothis? Yeah. I like I like Sothis too. Right. So for for those of you who are not familiar, um the Osirian is basically the um the equivalent of like Egypt, of ancient Egypt on on in Angularian and Pathfinder world. And basically like the Egyptian gods are the same ones from our real life Egyptian uh, pantheon. Yeah, they just got bored over here. Yeah, they got bored of Earth and went to Galarian and now are getting worshipped over there. Um, so going there, and, and what I've heard of this city, it really would be like just stepping back in time. Like if you booted up Assassin's Creed Origins and just stepped into the screen. Yeah. It would be like going to that city, which would be so freaking cool. I also don't think I'd die there immediately, so that's a big plus. Um, uh, there's no sunscreen, but... You know. Well, there's no sunscreen, but let me tell you, Griffin, a big chunk of the city is built around and under the molted husk of Ulunat, a colossal beetle that was one of the spawn of Rovagug and slain by ancient Assyrian's first pharaoh, Azagad. So... They figured out their, their, uh, their sunscreen there, kind of like a... a a football stadium will put up a dome. They oh, a, yeah. They got a big beetle carcass that half the city beetle. is built under. Yeah. Talk what, about protective penumbra there. Which is super cool and fantasy and weird, but also makes a lot of sense in the setting that if you are going to build a city, uh, you might as well uh, or build a city in a desert, essentially. Have it at a big river delta that also has a giant beetle husk on, that you could build under. There you go. You got your water. You got your shade. You're cooking with gas. Yeah. You got a city. The unfortunate part, though, is that when they've got to expand the city, they've got to go break Rovagug out and have him spawn more shit. Well, spawn right, me another yeah, beetle, yeah. please. Right, but, I mean, it's the cost of doing business. Hopefully the current pharaoh can kill it. Yes. Yeah, but that that's my answer. There are plenty of places that I like to go. And again, this is a question that I wouldn't mind revisiting in the future because there are so many cool, weird corners of the world that sound awesome and I'd love to talk about and visit in my imagination. Um, but Chris, I need you to bring us home right now. I am home. You're at we, my house. Yeah, you're at Griffin's yeah, house. So, uh, oh, okay. Strike that from the record. Um, I need you to roll a reflex save because you're in the lightning round. Oh, no. Yeah. My hair's getting all tingly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. Because your first question comes from Demuth. Is bird really the word? Yeah, uh, I checked because I hadn't thought about this in a while. It's not the word anymore. Wow. So what, like family guy killed it? Sorry, what? All right, moving on. Uh, next question comes from Florida Man. All right, he wants me to ask you if you still enjoy the bird jokes or if you've gotten tired and regret that that's become your identity. Uh, so I feel like it was super fun when I was in the lane of uh, sitting in the stands, like heckling you guys drunkenly, um, you know? Sure. A lot of fun there. But now that I'm like starting to like come on and do stuff with you guys, I was like, it's not really the thing anymore, I guess. <laughs> bird points aren't really the thing in, in Link Legacy. No. No, but you know. It's the bed you made for yourself. Yep. I mean, I'll I'll still sneak in some bird references here and there, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be shilling for Big Bird anymore, like too he too heavily. So when we uh, review the next big two uh, E drop, you're not gonna mention birds at all. I'll talk about the dire corbies if they're in there because them those are pretty bird point related. Good to know. 
All right, next question comes from 10 Lawn Gnomes. You may know him as Eric, our good buddy. Uh, he wants to know, is there a region of Galarian that you won't give an outrageous accent to? I will give an outrageous accent to anything. As you guys know, the Osirians have French accents. Um, you know, I play around with a lot of the other accents. Mwangi's Italian. Um, <laughs> the only thing, uh, the only thing I, so material world, you know, I'll play around with there, but if you're talking like, what do the lawful archons sound like? What do, what are, you know, what are the other planar stuff? You know, they're by the books. No weird accents there. It's only the, the continents and the regions. Pluto. Uh, yeah, I guess I should take that back. <laughs> it was Planetar the, Angel. No, that's just how Plantar Angels sound, okay? Yeah? Go talk to Jack Jacobs. He'll tell you the same thing. You mean thing. James? Yeah, go talk to James. <laughs> go my talk God. to J-Bo. Say the same thing. Yeah. I'm going to call my good buddy Jack up and ask him. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Jacobs, how'd you get this number? <laughs> Who are you? What's Pathfinder? Stop breathing heavily. It's three in the morning. Why are you calling me? <laughs> what does the Plantar Angels sound like? <laughs> God, fucking never Service call me. Service in an Arby's. <laughs> All right. Last question of the night. Also the last question of the lightning round comes from Bye Thanks Blart Tart. Bye Thanks Blart Tart. Got it. Yeah, got that. Got it. Nice. How much? Got it in two. <laughs> how much booze do we have to bribe you with to make your next character a Strix or a Tengu? No booze at all. I've looked at both of those races. They seem pretty reasonable. Uh, it seems like I could do something interesting, flavorful with them. Um, I know people in the Discord are talking about like, ooh, Trox or some crazy thing like that with like thirty race points. It's like if something can be unique as long as it's balanced well I'll play that I mean I won't play something that's like super unbalanced that breaks the game and that's that's no fun but you're not gonna play a gargoyle how many how many race points do those things have I'm gonna draw noble oh no I know I draw noble is a lot yeah um yeah, it does have a huge asterisk on them um cause e I mean even if you were to put in a game like you'd have to take like you'd have to like lose a class level or something to balance it out those things are crazy yeah or just play by yourself one on one with the GM, then those are allowed. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like when people play chess against themselves. Yeah, you're running from the side of the table, you describe the encounter, run to the other side. Uh, my character uh, does this. Run back to the other side. Uh, doesn't pass the AC. Run back to the other side. I can see you doing that. I've done this before, but generally the players start disagreeing with each other, and the campaign just breaks up. People just go their separate ways. Scheduling conflicts. Yeah. Scheduling conflicts. <laughs> Ah, boy. Well, Chris, thank you again for showing up. It's always a pleasure having you on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Is there anything you want to plug or promote before we send off? Yeah, um, want to shout out the Hideous Laughter podcast. They got a new uh, they got a new uh, paywalled uh, podcast up called Link Legacy. It's pretty cool. Uh, if you like the Hideous Laughter podcast, you'll love them. So check them out. <laughs> oh, oh, nice, Chris. Smooth. Yep. All right. Well, Griffin. I think it's about time to wrap this one up. What do you think? Yeah. Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later.